Welcome to a new episode of the Erasing Shame podcast, where we are encouraging Christian Asian mental health. I'm your co-host, DJ Chuang, and my special guest today is Phyllis Myung. She is the next-gen pastor at Great Road Church in the Boston, Massachusetts area, and I got to meet her uh, this past April in Atlanta, and we just hit it off really well and uh, have a lot to talk about. And we have a limited time. And this is the end of September, which is National Suicide Prevention Month. And as we got to talking, um, this is a uh, topic that's near and dear to our hearts. And we are um, caringly concerned for others who may struggle with suicide. So this is a content warning and trigger warning to those of you watching and listening that uh, we will be talking about suicidal ideation uh, on this episode uh, as we wrap up this month of September. So as a part of uh, encouraging Christian Asian mental health, we want to make it um, safer and learn how to talk about these uncomfortable subjects because we need to talk about them because if we suppress them, um, that doesn't help anybody, and it kind of eats us up on the inside. Um, and we know that from lived experience, my own experience, and that Phyllis will be a bit of her. But um, Phyllis, uh, tell us a bit more about who you are and where you are in life these days. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, DJ. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it, and I'm really excited to be here. Um, so yeah, I've been living here in Boston probably for about 20 years and working Mm. currently as a pastor at a local church outside of Boston. And I actually grew up on the West coast. So I, I think I'm still a West coast girl at heart (laughs) to some extent, (laughs) uh, the oceans and the mountains of the West coast, uh, call me, but, um, I think this, like the temperament, I'm more definitely East Coast. And so I've, mm. I've definitely found a home here, especially here in Boston. Um, and yeah, you know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is uh, children, family, youth. Uh, so anything next gen related and also uh, mental health and racial justice. And especially in the Asian American world, mm-hmm. um, mental health just has a huge stigma. And so mm-hmm. I'm so glad to, that you're doing this podcast and that we're talking about this today. Yeah. And, and tell us about your family situation. You're married. Do you have kids? Yeah, I have a husband and I have one child and a dog. And so the three <laughs> of us, or I guess the four of us live here in Boston. Yeah. See, that that's a tell if you count it as four. <laughs> and if you have yeah. one of those stickers on the back of your cars with the little dog and the um, family. She is our other child. Yes, our dog is our other child. Yeah. Now, what's the difference between East Coast and West Coast from your perspective? Because I grew up in the East Coast in Virginia. I'm yeah. a bookie from Virginia Tech, spent the last, okay. I don't know, first 45 years of my life on the East Coast. And I've only been out here in California for 10. And the main thing for me is like, because I do a lot of uh, consulting and travel around the country when I used to do church consulting, um, America is just America. It's it's basically franchised. And the main difference that stood out to me here in California is no seasons. So I lost track of time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I, so I know I people talk a lot Northwest. about differences. Yeah, so yeah, so I grew it. up in the Pacific Northwest, and so it was a it was a little different. We did have seasons, but they weren't like remarkable seasons. So it wasn't until mm-hmm. I went out east for college where I experienced distinct seasons, uh, which was really strange for me. And so when I went back home. Um, you know, in the winter time, it would just be kind of rainy all the time because it's mm-hmm. the Pacific Northwest. And I just had never noticed how much it rained until I had moved away. And I also think the other difference for me is the way people are kind of wired. And and I'll say this only for New England, because I don't think I experienced this like below, let's say like Maryland and South. Um <laughs> But I think there's the intensity of people in the Northeast that isn't there in the Pacific Northwest or maybe just in the West Coast in general. And I think I felt very intense as like a high school student uh, growing up in the Pacific Northwest when everybody else seemed very chill. And when I came here to, you know, the Northeast, definitely I felt like a chill person compared to everybody else and so I felt like I fit in better in that way um and I just feel like the more west you go the more chill and relaxed you get um and then yeah and so when I went back to the Pacific Northwest after college my friends who had experienced me in high school just say wow you're so much more relaxed Phyllis (laughs) and I just thought that was funny because I was like I don't think I've really changed that much but it's interesting that they experienced me that way after I had experienced some people who were, you know, just, I think way more intense than I was. So okay. I think that's the big difference. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause I hear the stories about that, but um, thanks for taking a minute to unpack that a bit. Um, yeah. May- maybe it's my own uh, self-perception. I'm just anxious everywhere. So it <laughs> <laughs> I'm always uh, feeling inferior and um people um yeah people scare me sometimes so <laughs> people are scary <laughs> know, but you're right you're right well uh, with the time we have um one thing as we uh get to talk uh in person and online on, on the phone um every every couple of weeks um uh, I know you think about a lot of things and that's why I enjoy talking with you as I think a lot about a lot of things. But one thing that really caught my attention recently was you mentioned um, you have a lived experience with suicidal ideation and, or actually yeah. attempt, attempted suicide. Yeah. And yeah. I think about the topic a lot because I had to struggle with my own, or I still do struggle with my own depression and suicidal ideation, but I never yeah. got to the point of, of attempting yeah. I think if we're going to make some further progress in understanding how to prevent suicide, there's some insights and wisdom in those who actually got to the point of attempting. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, the first time that I ever thought about suicide was probably when I was in high school in ninth grade. Um, things were just mm. tough at home and, um, I just remember writing a letter and I was also Mm. kind of, you know, I had been going to church for my whole life, but it Mm -hmm. wasn't until I was in ninth grade that I really kind of embraced faith for myself. 
And so I just remember writing a letter to God and just feeling, I, I, I was feeling just a lot of pressure. I'm, there's a tendency in me to be perfectionist. And mm. I'm also, you know, if you do Enneagram, Enneagram two, and I just really felt like responsible for a lot of people around me and taking care of them. And I felt like I was doing a bad job. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I just felt a lot of pressure and, you know, I just remember writing a letter to God and praying and crying one night and just saying to God, you know, like, my family, you know, this world would just be so much better without me. And that was the first time mm-hmm. I ever thought about suicide. <clears throat> and, you know, I think it was really, uh, you know, if you believe in God and God's grace that um, God really put somebody in my life at that moment to kind of help me wrestle, not only just with my faith, but also um, just my own mental health struggles, you know, without me ever talking about it, but it just kind of happened that way. And so I had a mentor who used to come um, from our youth group at church and would just mentor myself and my brother. And Hmm. I got through high school that way and I went to college and I felt I was okay, but I knew deep down somewhere that I needed a lot more help than just that. And I probably needed to see a therapist. I knew that I was probably depressed, but I also had these, you know, strange attitudes of, or not strange, I don't want to call it strange. Um, I just had these ingrained attitudes that, you know, as a Christian, you're not supposed to have mental health problems. And that as a Christian, you know, you're supposed to take care of those things, like by praying to God, being more faithful, Mm -hmm. repenting Mm -hmm. of your sins, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I think mm-hmm. attitudes that just got ingrained without me even realizing it. And growing up in a Korean American family, I think, you know, we also just didn't have the language for mental health issues at all or what depression right. was, you know? And mm-hmm. I didn't learn even what the Korean word for depression was until I was an adult. And so I just thought that just doesn't exist as a Korean. Um you know, and I, you know, I got through college okay. And, you know, I had some difficult times in college, but it wasn't until after I graduated uh, that I became really severely depressed. And Mm. it was the first time that I, you know, I was having migraines. And so I just took, oh wow, I just took like almost the entire bottle of my migraine medication. And then I had to go Mm. to the hospital. Luckily, Mm. you know, somebody found me Mm-hmm. Um, took me to the hospital. <clears throat> and that was the first time that I, you know, attempted suicide. And I really, you know, I just really wanted to die because I think the pain was, it was just so overwhelming and it was just too much and nothing was taking it away. And I had, mm-hmm. you know, I was trying so hard to be a good Christian and so Mm -hmm. hard to be faithful and just felt like I was failing in that. Um, I just felt like I did, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. You know, I had just graduated college and, um, you know, tried my hand at relationships that weren't really working also. Like I just felt like my Mm -hmm. friendships were falling apart. Um, Mm -hmm. and for me, I felt like dying was, was going to be a relief somehow. 
I think mm-hmm. that's how I truly felt. And mm-hmm. so um, I just remember <clears throat> the next day, um, you know, I had to do the charcoal thing and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And D- Describe what just, that charcoal thing is. So it's just a like, the charcoal, they make you drink this charcoal drink if they don't pump your stomach um, to absorb any wow. like, you know, poisons and things like that to try to wow. get that out of your system Okay. as fast as possible. And so mm-hmm. um, that is not a tasty drink. I hope mm-hmm. nobody ever <laughs> has to experience mm-hmm. that. But, you know, and then they put me literally in a padded room. Wow. And... I'm sitting mm-hmm. in this room and it's all, it's padded and I'd never been in such a place. And I just remember sitting there with the, the psychiatrist or psychologist or who or the doctor who was in that room mm-hmm. with me. And she's just asking me these questions. And I just said, yeah, I need help. I think I, I knew that I needed help and I didn't know how to get it. And I was just like, I don't know what to do, but I I think I need help. And so, you know, she asked me, she's like, well, you know, there's medications that we can try antidepressants and therapy. And I was like, okay. Um, And then she left. And then, you know, one of the pastors at my church at the time came in and, uh, you know, because this happened while I was living out here in the East Coast, my parents are out in the west coast and so um she came in and she she sat down with me and she just said to me she's do you want to still be here with the crazy people mm-hmm. um and i just was so shocked that she said mm-hmm. that because in my heart i was like i am one of those crazy people like i mm-hmm. i need this i have to be here um and i just remember shaking my head and you know, she was just saying, like, why don't you just come home? You can stay at my place and, you know, we'll figure this out. You know, we'll mm-hmm. pray and we'll do all this. Mm-hmm. And so I left the hospital under her care. Um, and I, I remember I got to her place and then I refused to talk to her because I was so angry at her because mm-hmm. I felt like I was she was not going to actually help me. Um, Mm. And so then she told me, you know, I could, I could go back to my house. So I went back to my apartment, you know, and my parent, my mom came out and, Mm. um, you know, just, I don't know, Koreans, we just don't talk about it. So Mm -hmm. she came, she fed me, you know, Mm -hmm. she's like, let's, let's go and we went and visited some family in another state and Mm -hmm. you know we just didn't really talk about it and then we just kind of left it at that and I was doing uh, a little better and um and then it wasn't until uh after I got married that I probably had my second suicidal attempt oh and it was just a really stressful situation Mm -hmm. um you know, being like newly married and, you know, it was just, it was just really difficult in many, many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but this time I I feel like the church that I was, cause I had moved by then I had moved out of that area Mm -hmm. and up to Boston and, um, 
you know, when the pastor came to see me, he was just like, everyone gets therapy. It's totally a normal thing. And I was mm. like, what? <laughs> I was mm. like, that's not what my other church said. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. And, you know, antidepressants are, can be really helpful if you need it. And, you know, therapy is like a good thing and you can still be mm-hmm. a Christian and do therapy, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was profound for me because after that second suicide attempt, that's when I started seeing a therapist. I was on some antidepressants. Um, mm-hmm. And I really think that those are the things that saved my life and helped mm-hmm. me to kind of be in the place that I am now. Um, and that, and to not feel so ashamed of having depression and understanding that it's with me all the time. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm able to better identify those times when I uh, know that I could start kind of spiraling down and know kind of what those triggers might be um, and be proactive about it instead of just kind of waiting for things to get really bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And to also just know that, I don't know. I think because of my own personal experience, being able to talk to other people who have gone through that and just to help them and to normalize kind of mental health issues, depression, um, anxiety, therapy, medication, that those are just, those are just normal, normal things. They're not, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't reflect in any way on you as a Christian and and so forth and that that you know hopefully has helped other people around me that have been going through that and that I can just sit with them in that and um help them to find you know therapists and help them to understand that you know if one therapist isn't working out they can go to a different therapist and that you got to give medication a certain amount of time and um And that I think the biggest thing is that like your, your life is worth living. Yes. And that it won't always be like that. And you won't always feel that way. And so, yes, this is like a really personal and, you know, it's close to my heart because I don't, you know, I think about, the students that I work with and Mm -hmm. um, I think about the pressures that they have and kind of Mm -hmm. those things and how it can, yeah, it can put them in a state where it seems really overwhelming and impossible and to let them know that they are loved. They are so worthy. They're so valuable and that their, their life is worth living and that, this world is better because they are here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just want to make that really clear for them. Yes. Uh, and, and that somebody is walking there beside them, that there's no yes. shame, there's no stigma. And so I think that's, it's a, that's a big driver for me of why uh, I do the work that I do now 
um, and especially in faith communities, I think that's lacking a lot of times. Uh, and we want to look a certain way and be a certain way. And when we don't fit that, um, there's this dissonance that gets created and then there's kind of no place to go. And I just want to make sure that, you know, people who feel that always have a place to go and a safe place to be. So, yes. so yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for going there. I know it brings back a lot of emotions and as you revisit those memories. And my hope is that because you've opened up, it will help other people to open up. Yeah, because I hope so too. So much of the struggle is the isolation and feeling like we're all alone and no one will understand and no one will help. And yep. Other people will reject us and all of that. Yeah. Because part of that is true. Some people will reject us and some people will throw more expectations yeah. on us. Right. And we don't know who to turn to. And it helps to humanize through stories, um, mm -hmm. these resources about mental health that people do hear messaging about. So last night I was at a suicide prevention seminar and it's called QPR. It's intentionally mm -hmm. named to be like CPR, a very mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, simple and clear and effective way to help prevent suicide. QPR stands yep. for question, persuade, and refer. Mm -hmm. So the training is about an hour. I'll add a link in the show notes to QPR Institute right. so that people can learn how to help someone that is in need or in crisis yeah. to uh, ask the questions, not be, not to be afraid to ask the question, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Yeah. Um, because you, you, um, the myth is you might inject the idea, but if someone's been thinking about it, it, really, it actually brings relief yeah. that someone yeah. would ask. And then persuade is to say anything you can think of that would bring them hope. So for me, what gives what gave me hope as, that were turning points for me in my own uh, struggle with uh, negative thoughts was friends and family mm -hmm. and steak. <laughs> so, so when steak. I, when, <laughs> yes, that next steak dinner and dessert um, yeah. gives me something tangible to look forward to. Yeah. Um, and there's some, a few other things that I won't mention on air in mixed company, <laughs> but, <laughs> but having a few tangible things uh, helps me to pull forward um, out yeah. of the overwhelming stresses and emotions of life. Yeah. And um, but, um, two, two thoughts um, as we wrap up. So having been under such intense emotions that would push you to attempt suicide. Um, were, those, were those things that you pondered for days on end or was it just so overwhelming in the moment that you just needed a release and how, what would you wish to have had at that time so that you didn't have to go there? Yeah, you know, I think back a lot to when I was in ninth grade and I just wish that um, I, had, I had gotten therapy. Like maybe I could have even gone to the school guidance counselor or something 
to have started in some sort of therapy because I think I knew I was depressed, but I didn't know how to name it. I didn't know what to say. I didn't have the language for it. And so maybe mm -hmm. this goes back to an education piece. Um, Cause we don't really, you don't really talk about necessarily mental health, uh, you know, in health class or, or anything mm -hmm. like that um, in school mm -hmm. and definitely not at church. And so where would a student, um, where would a high school student even know what to do if they're feeling that way? And mm -hmm. I know that my parents were not equipped with that either. And so um, I think about that a lot. And I was like, man, I wish if I, if, you know, therapy and mental health care was normalized when I was a high school student. I feel like, you know, what I went through later on could have been possibly prevented. Um, and, you know, the thing is that I think it's, I think the thoughts don't just come all at once and then suddenly it just, you know, turns into this moment where you're like, okay, this is it. But I, I think it's there and it's just kind of hanging in the back of your head. At least it was for me mm -hmm. where it was, that was an option, a viable option at some point. Um, and you push it back and you push it back and you're just like, no, no, no. And you try a whole bunch of different things, I think, um, to make it work. And, and that's what I did. And, and then I felt like when I just came to a point where nothing is working, that's when I was just like, okay. And, you know, I made a plan and mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and it, it was just at a point where it's unbearable. And I do mm -hmm. wish that, I wish that somebody had reached out in those mm -hmm. times where it was clear that I was really, you know, I literally didn't leave my home for a week mm. I didn't go into my job. I, you know, I just stayed in my room mm. and I just feel like, man, if someone had just knocked on my door and just said, you know, are you doing okay? Like what's going on? And had, mm -hmm. had maybe asked me, you know, how I was doing, um, I don't know, maybe things would have turned out differently. I'm not really sure. Uh, but there mm -hmm. is also mm -hmm. for me, because there was so much shame, I was trying really hard to hide how I was really doing. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I was, yeah, barely kind of getting through life. Um, so I feel like, you know, checking in on people, at least for me, that would have been a huge thing. And so, I don't know. I think for me, whenever I see that people are struggling and having a hard time, I try my hardest to make sure that I'm just checking in and yes, just asking, you know, do you need help or, yes. you know, are you doing okay? Um, yes. And not, not because I'm afraid something will happen, but I genuinely am concerned because I've, I know yes. that I've been there. Right. And I don't know if it's something that only people, you know, who are depressed or, you know, who struggled with mental health know, but I don't know. Sometimes you can just kind of tell you're like, oh, I think that person is depressed. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's when I just, um, you know, I'll just straight up just say, are you depressed? And if mm -hmm. you're depressed, like, you know, 
what do you need from me? Do you need me to just sit here and mm-hmm. give you a blanket so you can hide under it and I'll just hang out here for a little bit? Or, mm-hmm. you know, do you need me to bring you food or do you want me to just, you know, t- force you to go out? I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like just kind of different things. Actually, that's um, very helpful. You, you gave, yes. And speaking from life experience is actually um, helpful um, because just reading those um, st- um, documents with mm-hmm. a whole big list of symptoms and warning signs. Yeah. Uh, it still leaves, uh, as I read them, it still leaves me stuck with not knowing mm-hmm. what to do. Mm-hmm. And what you what did so well there was um, rather than, and, and I'm sensitive to this because I struggle with it, is when someone says, hey, just call if you need help. It still yeah. leaves a person struggling. And what you did so yeah. beautifully there was, that, would you like me to just sit with you? Would you like me to give you a blanket to hide under? And you gave three or four specific things that maybe one of them would click. It's much easier to do multiple choice tests than fill in the blank. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> Especially when you're depressed. Yes, yeah. so you did that beautifully. You used yeah. your East Coast savvy to, <laughs> to fill that in. And then now on the other side of... Um, taking good care of yourself and wanting to help others who might struggle. Um, what do you, what signals do you pick up as a next gen pastor to reach out and to help someone that might be struggling or is struggling with mental health? Um. You know, I try to pay attention to the kids who are um, who are kind of on the fringes or on the edges. Um, and I'm just extra sensitive to them, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. And I try to make sure that I have some sort of connection point with all um, mm-hmm. all the students and mm-hmm. and and the kids and just as you do that, I think, and as you get to, you know, you develop the relationships with the kids, you kind of can tell when someone's a little off or it's mm-hmm. not, you know, you feel like, okay, I just need to check in here. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that I am not I can empathize and sympathize, but I'm not here to actually do anything professionally, but I, I can connect them with people who can help them professionally. And so I always make sure that, you know, I offer that because I think, I think sometimes the trap that we can get in as pastors is that we're there to try to solve someone's problem. Mm. And just from my own experience, I just think mm-hmm. I didn't go to school to do that. You know, I'm not professionally trained in that, but there are these wonderful doctors and therapists, social workers who are trained in that and who have put in the hours um, and uh, like the clinical hours and are mm-hmm. trained and are good at that. And so that's, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to encourage them to do that, but my job is really to destigmatize and I think normalize, Mm -hmm. um, getting help, 
um, yes. and using whatever tools that are available to you to get the help that you need. Um, That's great. Because it doesn't have to be like this. Um, yes. And so, yeah, so just kind of, you know, watching the kids and kind of seeing mm-hmm. like the their demeanor and just mm-hmm. checking in during stressful times. Yeah. Um, yeah seeing how they're doing and if I see kind of changes in behavior or even personality and temperament, I just try to check in um, to make sure that everything's okay. Uh, Because it might not be that, it might be something else. So, but it's always worth just asking. Yes. And I'm going to key in on the part where you, um, the two two parts you mentioned. Uh, One is building those relationships so you get to know them. Mm-hmm. Because surprisingly, it's not just the marginalized that struggle with mental health. Yeah. It's even the high-performing ones. Yes, definitely. That's something will, something will snap, and then you're like, oh, I never saw any warning signs because they, they mm-hmm. hit it so well. Mm-hmm. And then something tra- tragic happens. And and um, secondly, you also mentioned that it, it, is, uh, it is your role to refer and to educate. So what is it mm-hmm. that you consciously do as a next ambassador to do that educating and uh, erasing the shame on mental health. Yeah, you do know, you incorporate I talk into your teaching or do you actually I do. I do. Okay. I do. And uh, I just I'm just pretty I I I'm pretty open especially to my students and kids, I think mm-hmm. about kind of my own mental health struggles and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have mm-hmm. been somewhat open I think to the adults of our congregation as well um but I'm probably much more open to our students um Mm -hmm. just so that it's normalized um but Mm -hmm. also connecting them uh like for instance last year um with kids going back with uh you know having a whole year of COVID and kind of all these disappointments and the stresses of going back to school or hybrid school so we did a whole kind of mental health um webinar where we had mm. a couple high school students as well as a, a licensed therapist come and talk to kids on how to cope um but also some different skills that we can incorporate incorporate and in practices um and you know we regularly talk a lot about mindfulness and mm. and kind of um slowing things down uh especially in our faith practices um to good, good, good. Yeah, to be able to kind of pay attention to mm-hmm. ourselves and kind of where where there's tension in our body, where, you know, the breathing might be difficult or where, mm-hmm. um, what our body's like actually physically feeling and then tap into kind of what our emotions and heart and mind is feeling oh, that's cool. um, so that we can, I don't know, so that we know ourselves a little bit better and so that then we can identify those things a lot easier. Um, so yeah, we try to incorporate all those things. Um, we also, you know, are doing, um, a thing with our senior high students where we're trying to help them figure out their purpose and, and, and how God has designed them and, um, you know, kind of going back to that core and what are the things that bring them joy and are important to them as a way to kind of center themselves in this moment in life when, there can be a lot of questions about the future, but to just kind of hang on to that core uh, and then to kind of go from there and step out from that, from that core of how God has, you know, given them the wonderful things that 
God has given them and, and the talents that God has given them. So, yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Phyllis. The more you talk, the more yeah. I want to talk with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I know our, our time is up uh, for this episode. Uh, one of these days, I've been dreaming about the popular Joe Rogan Experience podcast, where he mm -hmm. goes for three or four hours. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so we should do days, that. Well, I might take you up on that, but um, yeah. I, uh, as, as you cl close with incorporating the whole life dimension of our faith, that is something that uh, we are just learning to develop in our spiritual formation, uh, particularly as yeah. evangelical and conservatives, because we do so much cognitive yep. teaching, yep. and yet our body is mind, soul, and yep. physical and emotional, and we're just learning how to do that and by incorporating that it actually helps to reset our whole body to be healthy because it's all yeah. connected it and is. i think uh, science is just beginning to discover this concept of cognitive fatigue mm -hmm. and our, our bodies are not designed for brain work eight hours a day or yeah 60 hours yeah. a week and yeah. that affects our mental health that affects our mm -hmm. spiritual health so we're just venturing a new territory and i'm so grateful for you dear sister to be as a companion on the journey yeah me too i'm so grateful for you dj thanks for doing this look forward to staying connected online and in person can't wait to see you again and thank you right, racing shame audience for listening and watching on this episode we'd love to continue your conversation with you drop us a line anytime at erasingshame.com and subscribe at youtube facebook spotify apple anywhere you listen to podcasts thank you for tuning in and in october uh, next week we'll be having a month of clergy appreciation and talking with churches and pastors on how they can incorporate more whole life health in their churches and for themselves so we'll see you next week bye-bye